0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Hello, and welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which carefully, critically, and charitably examines the texts of worship music. I'm Tyler, a linguist and one of the hosts of this show, and I'm joined by Colin. I'm
2: Colin. I'm not a linguist. I am a historian. And me and Tyler both also were worship leaders, as we would call them, in our churches. We were folks who strapped on a guitar, sung in a microphone, picked the songs, worked with the pastors, led the congregations. nodded heads, shook heads. That's true. Closed eyes. Yes. Raised hands. Yes. For many, many years, and as we get older and sort of move on to different places in our lives, we wanted to create a podcast that allowed us to kind of dump out a lot of this experience for the benefit of people who are doing the sorts of things that we used to do in the hopes of helping them evaluate some of the songs that uh, they might be doing on a Sunday morning. So that's what we're doing. Indeed. And today we're going to take a look at
1: a song a very old hymn that has been redone time and time again. This hymn is called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And we're going to take page 116's version of this hymn.
2: Also known as page CXVI, but we're presuming those are Roman numerals, and so therefore it would be 116.
1: Yes, I'm assuming this is a, a Roman numbering system and not page <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true too. I think about saying it phonetically. <laughs> and uh, for those of you curious, this has been covered by King's Kaleidoscope. It's been covered by Sufyan Stevens with his soft banjo playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just a little bit about the version that we're looking at today. Uh, the band, page CXVI or 116, is a longtime project of Latifa Alatis. In which she explores ancient wisdom, hymns, and spiritual songs and represents them in new arrangements, new contexts, and modern sensibilities. That is the blurb from her website. Colin, why don't we jump in to this song? Sure.
0: For
2: songs of uh, so uh, let me just give some summary thoughts about this song. It is a song in which the singer is asking, requesting a fountain to <laughs> teach him to sing of the fountain's grace. Now, is he okay? Uh, yeah, is, is everything it is all right a with this? Very song? strange request, but then as the song carries on, we do learn that this is not an ordinary fountain, that this is a euphemism or a kind of uh, a way of speaking about Christ, biblical way, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, the singer then sings of his continuing need for God's help. So there's this refrain over and over and over again of the idea that the singer, even though the singer has been provided for and helped by God, he, he, he's not independent of God or she. The singer continues to need God to provide help. And then um, eventually the singer declares that with the persistent help and rescue from God, from Christ, that the singer will arrive at a home or a kingdom as we get in the kind of the final refrain or the final tag of the of the song. That's that's what it looks like to me in summary. Did I miss anything in there, Tyler?
1: No, I don't think so. Maybe just a little bit about the providence
2: of the text itself. Sure. Um, Why don't you say some things about that?
1: Yeah, it was written by Robert Robinson, written early in the 18th century. Old Robbie Rob. Old Robbie, Robbie Roberson. Uh, early in the 18th century, and he came to faith— after hearing George Whitfield preach and wrote this uh, poem a few years later after he had entered the ministry.
2: As a young man, I think.
1: Yes, a very young man. I think he was 22 or something like that Mm -hmm. when he wrote this. Uh, It's pretty astounding. He also journaled in Latin, so... (laughs) Um, if any of you out there uh, want to uh, encourage your 22-year-olds to achieve more, have them write hymns and journal in Latin. obviously wasn't a poor man. No, no, absolutely not. Um, th- there is some controversy about its origin, but the consensus seems to be that Robert Robertson wrote it. Yeah. Uh, apparently there was a uh, countess who had some handwritten oh, notes that okay. were very similar to this. Um, okay. But he's he's often given the um, authorship, so a little bit up in the air. Um, would you like to look at verse one, Colin? I would. Come thou fount of every. <laughs> Why did I say it like that? <laughs> it's
2: like I, my paladin in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that was you were you were starting an, RP, an RPG there.
1: Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise
2: yeah so we got a fountain as i said but it's clearly not just a regular fountain because the fountain provides grace the streams that the fountain disperses are streams of mercy whence the streams flow (laughs) indeed and they do not cease so um clearly even though christ isn't identified here Christ is really the only uh, possible explanation for a fountain that streams mercy and, uh, and tunes someone's heart or orients someone's heart towards grace, and particularly the grace of the fountain, the grace of Jesus Christ. And then the other thing that I, I want to pick out about this first, these first four lines— are that after singing of grace and sort of seeing or witnessing or experiencing the streams of mercy, then there is a response of song. So there's a nice order here where the person has an experience of God's goodness and grace and mercy, and then the singing then comes in response. We, we don't see what we often see in some contemporary Christian music, which is, the Christian starts off or the singer starts off by mustering up praise and then maybe never is there an explanation as to why, or if there is, it seems to come later. Like, like there's this common idea in, in many contemporary Christian songs of kind of r- ratcheting our emotions up and our, our activity up, and then this sort of brings the presence of God. But in this song, God's goodness is what's there first, and then this causes the person to sing. Now, again, I'm being generous right now because eventually we do we do learn who the fountain is. Yes, obviously if we if we want to if I want to be picky about this, anal retentive. Yeah, I could say, you know, okay, we don't technically know who it is yet, but it it it, it already there are hints at it.
1: Sure. We don't see the word Jesus until much later in this version of the song. Yeah. Um, I would actually go a step further than you. Okay. I would say, um, in addition to there being a logical ordering of God's work and our praise and response, this first verse does something very clever. Um, It talks about God tuning Mm -hmm. my heart to sing his praise. So in some ways, my heart, I, I can offer praise and he'll hear me, um, And I think he will, you know, find my praise acceptable, uh, even as it is. But this author is actually saying, my heart is out of tune. Mm. I need a skilled
2: okay. person yes. to put my heart in order to offer you praise. If I were to just start singing, it would sound awful. So I actually, not only am I responding to your grace and mercy, but I need you to actually show me how to sing correctly.
1: Yes. This fount of every blessing, I was thinking, how... How does this—where does where in Scripture does this find its root? And I mm-hmm. wondered if it's James one seventeen, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So I was thinking, the fount of every blessing is an innovative metaphor for God. Um, I don't think we see it in Scripture, but we do see God being
2: the good giver of every perfect gift— you know, we also have to remember that fount doesn't necessarily mean water fountain. Sure, it's a spring, right? Yeah, a source. hmm Yeah.
1: And then I thought about this stream of mercy never ceasing, streams of mercy never ceasing, um, and I asked myself, just to be fair, because I already liked this song before we recorded the podcast, but I was thinking, um, is this biblical? I mean, does God's mercy have a boundary? a line where it doesn't exceed are, are some people um excluded from god's mercy and then um wait why are you concerned about that
2: that's Wh- the question that's what, what line in the sun?
1: yes and then i realized i was not thinking about it in the proper way okay so god's mercies are new every single morning yeah um they never cease the they are never ceasing, it. right? Lamentations. Um, and never ceasing does not mean having no bounds, if yeah. that makes sense. So yeah. if if that's just... Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. that's not helpful. No, but I
2: see what you're saying. From a li- I can especially see as a linguist why you would why you would go that route. Okay.
1: Okay, Colin, the second verse then.
0: Teach me some Upon it, mount of thy redeeming
1: love. teach me some melodious sonnets sung by flaming tongues above i'll praise the mount i'm fixed upon it
2: mount of thy redeeming love all right i want to deal with those first two lines separately because i think that they connect more with the first four lines so we had a call for God to tune this person's heart. So if they just started singing, um, they're going to sing something that doesn't sound right. And so they actually need God to tune their heart to sing. And then there is also a request here for God to actually teach them what to sing. And the melodious sonnet that is to be sung is also sung by flaming tongues above. Now, for some historical context, this song comes out of the mid-18th century, and the Church has gone through and is mostly out of, but is still at the tail end of, a debate about what sorts of music should be sung in Church. Hundred years prior to this, you would walk into most churches and you would hear only the psalms being sung. By the time we get to this song being sung, there is a pretty uh, established pattern now of hymnody. So we would have had the influence of Isaac Watts now in the church, who made uh, made who was a real important force in bringing about this change, where churches begun singing hymns rather than straight up the psalms the word of god and what's interesting is that if you had heard the first of these three lines about god teaching tuning somebody and then teaching them the songs this sounds kind of like god needs to show us how to sing and show us what to sing and it sounds like a kind of in the context, a person might hear this and think psalmody. But then we can know— you,
1: Can you define psalmody? Yes,
2: right? that, the, that a person would um, think, okay, this is, in order to sing and respond to God's grace and mercy, we need to sing back to him the words of the psalms. That the psalms are a kind of hymn book, actually, that God has provided, and this is what we need to sing to him. We need to not like make things up, or our hearts will be out of tune. And we won't actually be singing the songs that god has taught us but then we know that these songs are from this hymn the songs that are sung by flaming tongues above now there are a few different ways you could think about the flaming tongues i suspect based on the context and the kind of ideas that are percolating at this time that these are a reference to the tongues of fire The 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 visible manifestations, physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit um, at Pentecost, and are associated with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes at that time. And this would have been the justification for moving from psalmody to hymnody. It's that no, the Holy Spirit will teach the church new songs that could be sung and so it's it's even though a song like this and other hymns are departing from the strict letter of the psalms they can still be inspired by the gift of the holy spirit to the church and i just this man was a very sm- he was a learned man i don't know if he was a smart man he was a learned man he would have known this this history and again was a part of it in context. And I just wonder if this is a little nod to that debate that's happening and in part maybe a little bit of a justification for a song like this when there would have still been some conservatives around him who would have questioned this sort of thing. I mean he writes it as a young man he um, you just I don't know you just that's some speculation there. But I just can't help but seeing some historical notes, some contextual notes in here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's it's a self-justifying uh, hint that what he is doing or what he's trying to do is um, similar to how the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Pour out God's yes. Holy Spirit or be maybe a conduit for that yeah.
2: through his... Enmity. I'm not trying to say that this is the exclusive purpose of these introductory lines, but I think there is a nod to that. There is, mm-hmm. a, there is a sense in which God comes to bless, he provides grace, he tunes the person's heart to sing about grace, the person experiences the mercy of God, and um, this, um, this requires a response in song. The person asks God to teach him the song to sing, but it's not found in God's Word in the Psalms. Instead, it is found in what is sung by the Holy Spirit. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And again, the point there is not to make a doctrinal statement about hymnody versus psalmody per se, but it, it does do that. mm mm-hmm. It does—it's it, it's premised on that. That's not a revolutionary concept at all to, to modern Christians, because the overwhelming majority of modern Christians do not sing exclusive psalms, do not sing psalms exclusively. But it, at this time, this would have still been an issue under debate, although at even at this point, the the tides had turned towards hymnody.
1: Mm-hmm. Colin, can you comment on this— Raise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming
2: love. It may be an issue with my ability to understand the language here, but I found this very sudden. Like, we're talking about a fountain, or, or a fount, I should say, not necessarily a fountain, although streams suggest water. We're talking about some kind of fount, and then there's suddenly a mountain. And the only thing I can guess is that, like, it's associating the idea of a mountain stream, maybe, maybe? But... It also could just be a mountain that's not quite related to these things like a, the mountain of Calvary, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, a mountain that represents God's love, the mountain of the cross. It could also be a reference to the Ebenezer, which I guess we'll talk about shortly, which isn't exactly a mountain, but it's it is a it is a, uh, a, a rock feature that comes out off the ground. So, I don't understand exactly why there's a mount that this person is fixed upon, is looking at.
1: Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home.
2: So um, now I think we we might be seeing what the mount is, maybe because we do have an idea of a stone here. Not this is not Ebenezer is not a reference to that famous Charles Dickens character. Um, in the many adaptations of that, I enjoy the. the Sort of Ducktales Disney version, the best probably my favorite. Uh, the Muppets one is pretty good too. Uh, so the 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 I think what this is a reference to is the Ebenezer Stone that is set up by Ebenezer just means stone of help. You mean help, the help, help rock? Help rock, yeah. In First Samuel seven, there is an account of the Israelites realizing the gravity of their idolatry. So they realize that they have been neglectful of their god and they repent and they really do it's a sincere repentance they they get rid of their idols they make vows um, they fast like uh, there, there's it, it's a really sincere moment of repentance and while that is happening the philistine army comes and surrounds these israelites and they call upon samuel to intercede for them because samuel has been offering a sacrifice to atone for what the israelites have done and they call upon samuel to sort of carry on interceding for them and god then intervenes supernaturally and just confounds and confuses the philistine army and the israelites win they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and then samuel sets up a stone, a stone of help to remember this great deliverance that they experienced. So when the singer is saying, Here I raise my Ebenezer, he's referring to Here I raise my, my marker, my, my symbol. You could even think of it as a flag, too, in some respects—a kind of a, a a a symbol of remembrance of God's help. So I'm remembering God's help, and it's by God's help that I have actually come to this point. So the very act of acknowledging God's help has been obtained by the help of God, which is it, which does parallel what happens in. Uh, in first Samuel at, at Mitzbah. So it's it's they, they couldn't have raised the Ebenezer stone without God actually helping them to do it. Um and then the person then reflects on the fact that okay God has delivered me. I have a, a hope that God will bring me to home. Again home is not really explained it's probably a euphemism for heaven like I imagine that this is not the person saying like they're just out on the street and they hope that God you know takes them a few blocks to their to their house um, or a few lanes to their thatched cottage' thinking about the context um, so you know uh, and then the acknowledgement that it's at the desire of God as to whether this will happen the idea of god's sovereignty comes through quite strongly in numerous parts of this song where we get the clear impression that this person is utterly dependent on god and if it weren't for god's goodness like they would they would just be unfaithful to god but mm-hmm. god is so faithful by um by his good pleasure to bring this person home
1: mm-hmm. we see in this verse that this author is a sojourner I mean he says hither by thy help I've come up to here I've come by your help and his hope is to not return home but to arrive at home so he's not been home yet Mm -hmm. right so he's on his way somewhere Um, and I think it's yeah I I do think it's heaven Um, and I think there's enough warrant in this song for us to think of it as the promised land Beyond the River Jordan.
0: Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interpose his precious blood
1: Jesus sought me when a stranger And then we have this word In Every version of the lyrics that I could find for this artist's rendition of the song, it says, Wondering. Wonder. W-O-N. Yes. Yeah. So, we'll Jesus that. sought me when a stranger, wondering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood.
2: Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe you can, maybe actually I should turn to you for this, because this does baffle me. I didn't look for other versions, but... I just figured it must have been a typo in this version but it sounds like you're saying you looked and I, it is not a typo.
1: I want it to be a
2: typo. I want it, it to be a typo. How, how can we make sense of wondering? Yeah. How do we make sense of that? It's it's like if we take that literally, it just means that from their place in God's fold they were they were wondering in their mind. They were They were just thinking about something. yeah. But wandering clearly is what seems to be taking place here, actually. W-A-N-D.
1: And what pops up later in a later verse. Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah, prone to wander. So I think despite it being in every version that I could find online, I think we should say that this is wandering and just proceed as if it's wandering.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, maybe it's one of these cases, like some of these, you know, 14th century manuscripts where you get a comma in the wrong place. And someone has to figure out, Oh my goodness, we've been putting this comma in the wrong place for the last 600 years. <laughs> um, somebody made a typo and then nobody fixed it, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the
1: artist doesn't post the lyrics on the, on the artist's website. So it's hard to say but every version I found of the lyrics online had wandering.
2: Fascinating. I want to say something about what comes before this. Jesus sought me when a stranger, which, you know, is a nice reference to some things that we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, something like Romans five, eight, God demonstrating his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, We didn't wander towards God, but we wandered. Wandered away from God and estranged ourselves from Him, much like uh, also the the parable of the prodigal or the story of the prodigal. Um, and Jesus sought us out and found us, or, or or again like the like the obvious reference here, the Luke fifteen reference to the the reference to the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. So we see that quite clear. We we in, imperiled ourselves in doing this, and yet. God rescued, and we have the first instance now of a pretty clear explanation of what God does to rescue us, and where his grace and mercy come from, he interposed his precious blood.
1: Hmm. Because the the author describes being um, in danger, wandering by himself from the fold of God, and then God preemptively... Uh, without any prompting from this stranger, this person in danger the uh, <laughs> rhyming, <Ryan, laughs> sorry uh, acts himself yeah. to interpose his precious blood
0: yeah
2: it's really nice oh, to
0: grace how great a daily I'm constrained to be let thy go like Father, by my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, sealed it, seal it for thy courts of Oh, to grace
1: how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee.
2: Some good stuff here too. We have the idea of grace making us a debtor, which is a really fascinating idea because, right? Doesn't grace free us from Who debt?
1: the sun sets right. free? <laughs> oh, is free? Is free indeed? indeed
2: right? We've obtained. Freedom. And this song, probably better than n- most other songs that we've ever looked at, really does a good job of not suggesting that we were not freed to autonomy, but we were freed to a better state of bondage in many respects, to a bond slavery, right? A uh, fetter is a uh, chain or a shackle so the goodness of god is like a chain and how does that work with the metaphor well i've said this before on the podcast in the ancient world the uh, slave this and even in many respects in this world although the basis of slavery in the world of this psalm is shifting towards a, a ethnicity-based slavery so it doesn't quite work the same as slavery in the ancient world but a when a slave is, is freed um, in the ancient world, they, they, they do not go to an independent state. I mean, it's true that they're given their citizenship and they're free in that sense, but that would be a death sentence um, because, you know, especially for a poor slave— Uh, and and a slave without skills. Wander off into Gaul. See what happens. Right, exactly. I mean, that is just a disaster. So what most former slaves do is they immediately begin working for either their previous master or they go to find another person to basically attach themselves to. It could also be in in another slave-like relationship, only a kind of voluntary slave relationship, a kind of bond slave. Because, again, you get housing, you get food. Uh, these are in a world of vagaries and instability, and you know where everyone is one harvest away from utter disaster, a relationship like that is really valuable. And so what Christ does when he frees us from the slavery of our sin is not set us onto our own way. Actually, he brings us into his household. He, it's like he, he, he binds us now to him and we serve him we're bond slaves of christ and we are and that's a wonderful thing that's great news actually for us that we have now been bought and paid for and brought into the the household of god so this verse i think captures that really well we're a debtor to grace um, because we're now utterly dependent upon him and but he is a good master he's a good lord and he takes care of us and so um this constrains us this actually keeps us safe it protects us from the scary things of the autonomous world of absolute freedom which in the ancient world is is perilous listeners might understand
1: how comforting this would be imagine the last time that you were tempted imagine if you were really you know physically on a chain with Christ in that moment, yeah, and He were tugging at it, you know, to keep you from wandering. I think right. that would be a kind of of blessing um, yeah. to us,
2: yeah. Because the fact is, when we face sin on our own, we just jump headlong into it.
1: Yes, Colin, and that's why the author of this song says, "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it," describing a very personal, intimate emotion mm-hmm. there. Um, Prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.
2: Yeah, so even after being bonded to God, so we've been taught to sing, we had our heart tuned, uh, we are aware that we're a debtor to grace alone, and um, God's goodness binds us. Um, Even then, right, if it weren't for those chains, we are prone to wander. And I love that this author says, as you pointed out, he, he gives this personal interjection of, I feel this. And I imagine as a young man, he probably did in various ways. I mean, there are so many temptations that, but for the grace of God, we would leap headlong into. Um, We would leave the God that we love. Um, But the person then says, God, here's my heart, take it and seal it and seal it for your courts above, which is but going back to a reference to this home idea, right? So there's this present state where the person has been uh, brought into a kind of dependence upon God. They've been converted. They've been made a Christian, and yet even still, there is difficulty. And so the person is hoping in God to deliver, uh, to seal them, and deliver them. Uh, to his courts, and these are not courts of justice. The
1: hall of royalty. Yeah, right? yeah, that to too, be yeah. At court. The or king's
2: something. court. Yeah, sure.
1: So what he's saying here when he says, "Seal it, take it, and seal it for thy courts above," he's saying, um, "Let no earthly pleasure throughout this life, or any other earthly desire, invade my heart." Right, because that's what you do when you seal yeah. something—you yeah. don't can't even open it again, um, but preserve it throughout my life and into eternity.
2: Yeah, put a barrier between my heart and these things that, that I'm prone to wander towards. Mm-hmm.
0: I am bound for the kingdom. Won't you come with me? I am bound for the kingdom. Won't you come with me?
1: And then we come to a uh, bridge of sorts. Yeah. I am bound yeah. for the kingdom. Won't you come with me?
2: Yeah, so this is a... This is not actually brought into this for the first time in this performance. This is something that I don't know exactly when, but at some point, this, ref, this sort of gets brought in as a refrain in the song. And so... Or something very similar to it gets brought in as a refrain. So we have, I am bound for the kingdom. Won't you come with me? Um, I do... I, I will just say we don't comment much on the music. I really like the way that this comes in, Mm. in the performance of the song. Uh, Just musically, I find it really uplifting. Uh, I do find it a little bit strange situationally in that the song has not really had any kind of audience or congregation As such, it's sort of a a man or a woman describing this, you know, being brought into God's household and, and being sealed for heaven. And it's like the person then maybe almost even like breaks the fourth wall. It's like suddenly they make eye contact with us and they haven't done that yet. Yeah, the whole thing
1: has been between them and their Lord. Yeah,
2: And so suddenly we're being brought in. It's like, hey, um, you don't have to just watch this story. Um, You can come with me. I am now bound for this kingdom. And I love the idea of bound, right? (laughs) Because it's the idea of binding his heart. Um, And then also it's a euphemism for um, like taking a journey, right? So it's it's brilliant words. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am bound for the kingdom. I'm sealed for the kingdom, and I am on a journey towards the kingdom. And won't you come with me? Um, Implying that we can also experience what this guy has. It's an offer. Yeah, it's an offer. Um, And so it is a bit jarring, but in probably a way that I think, you know, it kind of works. And A good breaking of the fourth wall in a, a play or a TV show or something like that does work. Um, it does have a kind of jarring effect. And I think this does something similar. What do mm-hmm, you think?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, it also um, interrupted my thought flow as well, because I was appreciating the more contemplative side of the song and um, focusing on it between a sinner and a God who had saved him and them going back and forth Um I don't think I have much to add beyond what you've already said, other than um, it's a little bit odd because it's a different kind of sense of the word come as before, Um, where we had come was being addressed to the Lord, like Mm -hmm. come and tune my heart. It was a a request and an appeal, and in this, it's more of an offer or an invitation, not to the Lord now, but straight to another person, so Hmm. it. I think that's also why it took me by surprise a little bit, is because I was expecting another, like, another come, oh, Lord, Mm -hmm. divine of nations, or something like that, Mm -hmm. so. Okay, so that repeats a couple of times, and then we have Hallelujah We Sing, so I don't think much to say about this, it's just we sing praise ye ya, Yeah. praise ye the Lord. <laughs> right, we're singing it, and the angels sing it in Revelation. So we're yep. going to sing it too. Um, okay, now, Colin, do you have any anything else to say about the maybe some
2: omissions? Yeah, there are some omissions. Um, several. Uh, one that I think there's a whole sort of stanza that is left out, which um. I had sung, when I had sung this version of a song in the first church where I had, I have sung this stanza before, and it is, Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransomed soul away, send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Um this is a verse which helps define what home and the kingdom are. It gives us a sense that this is going to be heaven where we are clothed in blood-washed linen, which is an interesting idea because blood is, of course, dirty and sticky and gross. It stains, and yet um, it is, in this context, a washing agent. Right? And linens because, are bright white. Yeah, so it's a cleansing agent, which is, you know, is a kind of a paradox that is consistent with the idea of Christ's blood um, washing away our sins. Uh, and how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. I'm not surprised to hear this person now talk about sovereignty, because this has been a dominant theme in the song, the idea of sovereign grace. Uh, and then the person is just appealing to God, uh, come. So we have another call, come thou fount uh, come with me to the kingdom. And now this person is, uh, come my Lord. Um, and again, in the original, I don't think, um, come with me to the kingdom was there. So we would actually have a bit more of a, the, 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 the uses of the word come would both be towards God one to say, come and teach me of your grace and tune my heart. And now it's, um, come and take me mm. to my home. Um, don't tarry, like, don't, you know, please don't wait um my soul has been ransomed so just another opportunity to inject in there the uh, some doctrine about about the being atoned and uh send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day now okay um angels don't carry us uh <laughs> but uh so that, that's a little bit of an issue there um and you know realms of endless day is a more of a colloquial way of talking about heaven. It's not necessarily a kind of biblical way, although I guess you could say maybe with the kind of light of the Lamb always shining, maybe we think about this as a kind of endless day, the sun, S O N, yeah. shining. So maybe yeah. something like that. We
1: have no more need for the S U N. Yeah. We have the S O N.
2: Uh, the extent to which I think this is essential, it's not essential. I, I don't mind that this has been removed myself uh i mean it's nice to have the clarity on what home is and what the kingdom is but
1: well and and the cleansing blood is nice because the blood didn't come out of nowhere right it yeah. it does indicate that there was a a crucifixion and an atonement that i don't think was clearly stated before yeah
2: there's some other bits and pieces of verses that that are omitted um None of which, well, I won't read them all, but none of which I thought were absolutely essential. There were even a few that I thought just were a bit wordy or unnecessary. Clunky. Yeah.
1: I will say one more thing about this original fourth oh, verse. Sure. Two more things that I liked, actually. Um, and they both have to do with this seeing his lovely face. Hmm. Um, I think we take that in a very... I, I want to say saccharine way, when we hear that, like, oh, he's going to be smiling, and we're going to be smiling, and it's all going to be so happy. um, And certainly it will be joyous but and happy, but um, this is a reference to 1 Corinthians 13, I think. Yeah. Now we see in a mirror dimly referring to the earthly world in which we dwell, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Um, So we are looking forward to a day when we shall see uh, God face to face. And the second thing I want to say about this face to face thing ties into one of the omitted verses. So I'll read this Hmm. um, omitted verse right after I say this, but um, we see in Deuteronomy 34 That Moses was a prophet like no other in Israel, in that Yahweh knew him face to face. And Moses, I think, delivering, or God delivering his people through Moses um, to the promised land, I think is a theme that permeates this entire song. Um, And I'll read this, there's a fifth verse that is often omitted because it's wordy and clunky and awkward. If thou ever didst discover, to my faith, the promised land, bid me now the stream pass over, on the heavenly borders stand, now surmount whatever opposes, and to thine embrace I'll fly, speak the word thou spake to Moses, bid me get me up and die. (laughs) What a clunky verse, but I think it ties a lot together. So we have... Obviously, the being brought over to heaven's shores.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and this, and the, that relationship with the promised land that you mentioned earlier. Yes,
1: exactly. Um, if thou ever didst discover, this is just an archaic word for reveal. It, yeah. it, it's actually kind of nice because it's more literal yes, than the discover. one we have now. To yeah, uncover. uncover. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, to my faith, if you ever revealed the promised land to my faith, bid me now the stream pass over. So obviously that's the River Jordan that separates the promised land. Um, on the heavenly borders stand. So we're standing on the borders of the promised land, about to go into it. Um, now surmount whatever opposes, and to thine embrace I'll fly. Speak the word thou spake to Moses, bid me give me up and die. Um, and we, we know from Deuteronomy 32 how Moses died, and... We know that he could not enter the promised land, yeah. right, because of his sin. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to read 48 to the end, because once I read this, I think I saw the references to mountains earlier uh, in the verse a little bit more clearly. Oh, good.
2: That would be useful.
1: On that same day, the Lord told Moses, Go up into the Abarim Ridge to Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites in the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance you will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. So mm. that's the last verse when we're looking over into the promised land. I think it's also the prone to wander verse, where the people of Israel just, they yeah. love idolatry. They're yeah. just like, any any moment that they can create an image to worship instead of the one true God, they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. I'm wondering if um, this is... This is Moses um, being fixed upon how far God has brought them, like to this mountain that oversees the promised land. Mm. It's a little bit tenuous, but at, but God killed or Moses died on that mountain and God buries him there and there's no gravestone.
2: Yeah,
1: um, it, it seems to me that This this mountain at the very end of the Exodus, at the very end of the journey to the Promised Land represents a kind of providence and sovereignty and um I mean even a mercy that that God let him see it after, yeah, after sure. that. So anyway, I just thought that tied a lot more of the earlier parts of the song that seemed kind of odd together.
2: Yeah, you could see how you would be fixed on this this mount, which represents the journey's end, other than the mount of God's redeeming love, presumably, is Cal- Calvary. So, you know, who knows? It might be deliberately sort of ambiguous to, to connect these various mountains through Scripture. And then Mitzpah where the Ebenezer Stone itself is, is set up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's great, Tyler.
1: Anyway, Colin... What would you say in conclusion, having looked at this song?
2: Well, apart from just saying that I think the omitted verses do add some nice continuity, they're also clunky, and I'd say the overwhelming thrust of the song is still preserved in what was kept. And... If we hold this song to the same standard as contemporary songs and maybe also to some of the songs that we did at Christmas time, I would say that some of the language does create barriers in that like ebenezer like I didn't know what that meant for the longest time and someone had to explain it to me.
1: Someone but, explained it to me and they explained it wrong and I thought it was the wrong thing forever. Oh, said, oh what do yeah, you that's think it a was? Stone oh, was like, oh, okay. a stone of remembrance.
2: Oh, a stone
1: of remembrance. It's close, but it's but kind it's, of like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a, Stone of help, stone of help, but um, and you know it does remember when God helped, as it were. But yeah, uh, so you know, there's some of these, um, you know, and just uh, the metaphors are somewhat elusive in places, and that could be that's just a bit of a challenge in some ways. But there's a lot of truth, and it so so it does certainly surpass many of the 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 slight bits of vagueness or ambiguity in the song really are not overwhelmingly a problem they're just inconvenient i guess you might say in a few places mm-hmm. um once and once we grapple with them like they're actually pretty rich so on the whole i would say it's a pretty clear song uh, for the most part with some minor exceptions and i'd say it is reasonably coherent as well i on the whole, I, I think it works. What do you think?
0: Yeah,
1: I have liked this song since I first heard Sufyan Stevens do it, and I have appreciated the intimacy with which the poet speaks to God, but also it's not merely intimate. It's also scriptural, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that uh, there's a lot of reverence for God in this song, song there's a lot of reverence for God in this song. There are acknowledgments of human sin, frailty, um, and a pleading with God to be patient.
2: And we have atonement also. Yeah. You know. so. the, I mean, it's great. It's great with the freedom thing and the slavery thing. I'm really good with that. So there's a lot to like in here. But, Definitely. Definitely. Colin,
1: would you endorse this song?
2: I would. I think I would endorse it still. I, like you, I had a favorable desp- disposition to this song before doing the research and, and doing this podcast. And I'd say I'm definitely still there. And I like the, the Page CXVI or 116 version as well. We listened to their hymn albums quite a bit when we were, when our children were really young and before we had kids. And I think I really appreciate the work that they do. Um,,
0: mm-hmm.
2: in redoing these hymns, I think for the most part they they keep them pretty faithful. There's one hymn that they do, which they read it in a bizarre way. It's um, I've got the joy, 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 but she Down just in my heart, but she yeah she have you heard this version? No, she's just it just sounds like it's the worst thing in the world that she's got this joy. It's just it, it just the music does not at all match the uh the lyrics. oh, that's a shame, yeah. And then there's just this like mourning, like where she's shouting like joy, but it's not like happy joy. It sounds like she's just like dying inside and Mm. she's knowing a little bit more now what I know of her background and her experience over the last few years um, from her side. Sounds like, you know, it hasn't always been uh, rainbows and sunflowers. What about you, Tyler? Would you endorse it?
1: Yeah, I would. I would recommend singing Mount of God's Unchanging Love over Mount of Thy Redeeming Love. Yeah. But they're both fine. I just, um, the original was, the original emphasizes God's steadfastness which I appreciate, and there are other things in the song that emphasize his redemption. There are other things in the song that emphasize his steadfastness as well, but um, I yeah, guess that's just a picky more little More consistent. Thing. And
2: what would you give it out of five? I would give it four out of five bass guitars. And the reference there, because you look bewildered, is the fact that this band... Uh, so I've, I had listened to this band's albums And then I was shocked when I, I had not actually seen what this band looked like or or them perform or anything like that. And when I saw a performance video, I was like, they don't have a bass guitar player. Um, They're making this sound with, with her playing some keys or a piano, Uh, this guy on the drums and kind of like half a drum set and a guitar player. And there's just no bass, and and then I like I really noticed it mm. when they play live. Now on the albums, they they stick some bottom end in there, so it's fine. But like they just never bothered to like get a bass player, so or or maybe they didn't want one or whatever. But I I just like it. It's just the gap in my like I I really hear the bass <laughs> not being there. Uh, and uh, you know, so anyway, four out of five bass guitars.
1: Very good. I also gave it four out of five, but I gave it four out of five air raid sirens. And that's because at about two minutes, 15 seconds in the YouTube video of this, um, they are playing an instrumental thing, and she she starts um, singing this very high note, um, and then the instruments under her, I think there's a slide on the guitar or something, mm-hmm. starts sliding up. And it, just the way that those sounds fit together, it sounded like an air raid siren to me.
2: Truly from the Midwest, Tyler. <laughs> a sound that I had never heard in my life. And I was at a Wendy's uh, when I first moved to this part of the world. And they were just doing a test, but I didn't know it was a test. And it was, you know, middle of summer and like 90 degrees outside. I'm in this Wendy's and I hear the air raid sound. I'm like, oh my goodness, the Germans are coming or, you know, a tornado or something is coming. And I, I'm i like looking around, everyone in the restaurant's just going about their business. totally normal, And I'm just... I'm on edge. That's like, the problem I with lost testing. my appetite. <laughs>
1: testing sirens once a week. I don't think it would actually work in case yeah. of an actual emergency. Yeah. You want Colin's reaction, yeah. not those windy people's. <laughs> right. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah, imagine how those people in Hawaii are going to react the next time there's a oh, nuclear
2: meltdown. man, those poor people. Yeah. Oof.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Worship Review. We are on Anchor, and you can check us out there. Leave us some feedback. Leave us a tip. Check us out on Twitter. Retweet us. Follow us. um, Don't at us. And uh, have you not heard that before, don't at me. (laughs) It's like if uh, you don't want people to start replying to you and harassing you. Um, Check us out on Twitter. You can retweet us, follow us, and like our tweets. And we hope to catch you next week. See ya.